well, welcome everybody to episode 15 of the Blow Off Valve podcast. It's a podcast for automotive and motorsports news. We're your hosts, Alex and Tucker. And this week we've got uh, kind of an interesting mixture of, of cool new cars and, and unfortunately some sad news. And we'll kind of start with some, some of the sad news, but it, it, I think has some interesting discussions to be had around, around, you know, why and how it happened. But this week there were two men that were killed in a model, a uh, Tesla model S crash and both, both a little bit older aged 59 and 69. Um, but the kind of most interesting part of the story, I think f- from the headlines was that no one was in the driver's seat at the time of the accident. Apparently before these two guys went out in the car, their wives said that they had been talking about the vehicle's autopilot feature, which is what Tesla calls their essentially kind of their level two automated system with adaptive cruise control and lane keep assist and all that sort of stuff. And investigators believe that one man was in the passenger seat and that the other was in the back seat uh, at the time of the accident. The fire actually from the batteries took four hours and 30,000 gallons of water to extinguish because the batteries kept reigniting, which is a known potential with these sort of accidents with these batteries that you can get in a high-speed accident, what's called thermal runaway, where materials in the batteries contact each other that shouldn't, and that leads to fires. And then that process happening repeatedly can lead to what they call battery reignition, where you think you put out the fire and then it starts up again. Um, so pretty can be pretty catastrophic. And on top of the story, Consumer Reports had been looking to claims that this autopilot feature could operate without a driver present and found that it could be reportedly, quote, easily and repeatedly tricked to operate without a driver actually in the driver's seat. Um, now, autopilot is supposed to monitor that there is a driver in the seat, that they have their hands on the wheel and that the seat belt is buckled, uh, but apparently that is easily circumvented. So kind of what I wanted to get your thoughts on, Tucker, and, and I thought it'd be an interesting discussion is, should Tesla really be held at fault if the system was allowing autopilot to be used without a driver in the driver's seat. I mean, my wife's Volvo has sensors that are sensitive enough to know when I have heavy groceries in the passenger seat and it tells me to put a seatbelt on them. So, you know. Yeah, it's a, I don't know. It's a really tough question. I think, you know, we've talked about this before. At a, I think at a bare minimum, the labeling on this thing is not great, you know. It probably should have been called something else originally. And then when they did actually deliver full self-driving or some like high level of it. Yeah, level three or above. Yeah, then you can call it autopilot. But I think that that, it confuse. I don't know if it confuses people. Like, because these people were obviously like, they weren't idiots. I think, right. I can't remember what their jobs were, but I, I vaguely remember seeing it and thinking like, all right, well, these weren't like complete idiots. Yeah, right. So <clears throat> I don't know if it's, People, if they own a Tesla and they see it do some really interesting things and they're like, man, this thing was able to like pull up um, and pull in at this grocery store or pick me up out of the parking lot. And I just Mm -hmm. think that's really cool. And I'm, I'm sure if it can do that, it can do just about anything. Right. And they, they must, you know, obviously this is not a good idea. Um, right. Of course. Yeah. It really, you know, really sucks for their families and it really honestly sucks for them. And I think if you could pull up to a, you know, a bar in the afterlife and talk with these two guys, they'd be <laughs> like, this was a really dumb fucking idea. Yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't yeah. have done that. And they recognize yeah. that, you know, you know but I think, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just, to me, this it's analogous 
I, I think th- these sort of things, like this is not the first time we've heard something like this, right? I suspect that a lot of the people that are doing, jumping into Tesla's, they're fascinated by the tech of it. Yeah. And I think this is kind of analogous to the guy that goes out and gets a brand new Mustang, picks up his buddy, and then they like slam on the gas, lose control and hit a tree. You know? Like, yeah. And, and I think you're right. Because what is supposed to be unique about this car and they want to show it off. Yeah. Or they want to push in this case, you know, the technology. Right. They want to see what it's capable of. The, the guy's like, uh, wants to show his buddy, you know, right. like you were just saying, yeah, look what I this think- thing can do. It's really crazy. Like, check this out. I, hell, I've right. never done this, but I bet I could sit in the passenger seat. And right. I do remember Elon tweeted at some point that it, <clears throat> it was not quote engaged. And so the confusing thing about this is I remember reading the Jalopnik article and somebody posted an image of like the neighborhood mm-hmm. and that Somewhere this was like, a, this was literally in a neighborhood and, you know, somewhere around a cul-de-sac. And so yeah. maybe they started it and it, you know, was set to like a cruise at 70 miles an hour and it took off like a rocket because, you know, when you look at that crash, it doesn't strike me as a crash where you have, you know, a catastrophic battery failure miles an hour. Well, yeah, like, that's the thing is it, they, they were definitely going at a high rate of speed to cause that amount of damage and, and to lead to the battery fire that they had. So, I mean, I think it was, as you said, it was, it was probably just a series of bad decisions. Yeah. And I think it was just facilitated by wanting to show what your new fancy car can do. I don't and, think it was go- anything nefarious. It was just, it was just exactly and that gets back to your first question i i don't actually think tesla should be held rely you know liable for people doing dumb shit but that being said i think that some of the mislabeling could maybe get them in trouble that obviously these are were intelligent people some individuals might think like oh they call it autopilot like a plane you know i assume this thing can do you know yeah drive me to the grocery store and I don't have to supervise it at all. And that's not really the case. And so that maybe that's kind of a window into some liability. And, you know, I think a lot of this could be fixed if they just didn't call it that. Um, Yeah. I think that, I think you're right. It's it, it, I understand the marketing behind it. Like it's a great name, autopilot, like it, but the problem is it, it gives a lot of potential misconceptions. Like you said, I think when I hear autopilot, I think, oh, I can tell, I can set my GPS to go to my work and then I can just sit my coffee and read the paper on the way to work, you know? And yeah. it's like, that that's not where it's, and Tesla says that. They say like, you should have, even when autopilot's engaged, your hand should be on the wheel. You should be attentive yeah. and ready to intervene if the, if the system fails, which I think begs a question as to like, well, is the system worth having <laughs> if, if yeah. you know, you're still having to it's basically these things are basically glorified cruise controls at this right. point they're really really nice cruise controls but i'll tell you what you know in my in our uh audi e-tron and the tycon i can tell the software is very similar because they they kind of goof in the same way and yeah. i would be under no circumstances would I trust these things like without my hands on the wheel for a microsecond. Yeah. <laughs> like 
they're not that good. I mean, they're pretty good. It's super helpful. I like having them. Yeah. But they also are dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think things like adaptive cruise control are awesome. Like when you're on a highway and you're exactly. like, you know, I'm going to peg it to 75. And then if someone cuts in front of me and slows down by like two miles an hour, like the car will ad- adapt. And, and, but at the same time, I've never, I've never felt like, oh, I can just like do what, completely ignore what's going on because I've got adaptive cruise control on. That's crazy. So I think that that, you know, obviously needs continuing education that there is probably an argument maybe that the Tesla system is, is better than some, although it sounds like, you know, GM super cruise is actually really, really good. good, So I think there just needs to be education and you're, you're challenging humans in a unique way, right? With that, because you're basically saying like, you can kind of relax, but you need to still be available at any given instant for a potential right. catastrophic failure. Which I think is more dangerous than just not having a <laughs> It might be like, right. <laughs> because, because if I don't have any driving aids on, I know that it is 100% on me to maintain yeah. a safe distance from the car in front of me, to pay attention to what other cars around me are doing if they're driving erratically. Whereas if I have, you know, these aids on, there's a tendency and they've done studies on this. There's a tendency, your concentration wanes, you know, like, Oh, I, I, you know, I, the car is doing 70% of the work, you know, and so I don't really have to be as engaged. I don't have to be a hundred percent there. I think the thing that worries me, it's not that, I don't think they should be, I don't think Tesla should be liable that someone used the autopilot in such a dangerous way. I think the problem for me is that their system can be, you can put autopilot on and not even be in the driver's seat. Like it, it should be very simple for a car that has as much, as many sensors and as much computing power as a Tesla does to know whether there's someone in the driver's seat. I mean, it's a very yeah. simple, like, <clears throat> is there weight in the driver's seat? <laughs> right. I, I think you're, I think you're right about that. Obviously they have different approaches. I know in, um, our, our e-tron is very sensitive. I think the wheel has like, I don't know if it's a pressure. I don't think it's pressure. It might be like a capacitance. Like it, uh, I think a lot of systems are like a capacitive touch thing. Yeah. And so obviously they take different approaches. <clears throat> now the difference is, there's no effing way on any given day that I would sit in the you know passenger seat of the e-tron right. and trust that thing in any way. It's not. It's like I said. Yeah. It's not bad, but it's not at all like great. Right. Um, and so, is it you know is it fair to you know Tesla's chosen these mechanisms like the doors are closed. Yeah, you know, weight on the seat, pressure on the steering wheel should be good enough. We don't use capacitance. We don't use, you know, yeah. retinal uh, detection. Yeah, to make um, sure your eyes are on the road. You can only really do like so much within reason before you know you start having to add in more complexity into cars, which you know, mm-hmm. coming back to this microchip thing, we'll be talking yeah. about in the future. Like it just adds complexity. And, yeah, and things break and if people are going to do stupid shit they're just going they're to gonna do, do it. it regardless yeah and, and and you can't like fundamentally regulate all of it away they're, yeah. they're still gonna do it it's crazy that they that these guys thought this was a good idea but they did it 
Yeah. And, and it just ended tragically, yeah. which is awful. No, no. It's like, it, it just reminds me of that picture that was circulating some months ago of that guy in a Model X on the 405 freeway in LA asleep yeah. <laughs> in morning Not traffic. Good. It's just like, <laughs> Now, yeah, one thing I, I wanted to mention, because I thought this was a really good uh, pickup, and uh, it was a nice um, article that they wrote on Jalopnik. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason put this article together and basically said, because, you know, they just get beat up on, in the comments anytime they write a Tesla article. Oh, yeah. And I think the point Tesla with this is, is somebody <laughs> said in the comments, like, hey, I live in this area and, you know, not too far away from here. Somebody, you know, was driving 90 miles an hour, rear-ended people and killed some people. Yeah. Like, why didn't you write about that? Well, the point is with Tesla is it's kind of encapsulated by this notion that this thing is called autopilot. They're yeah. selling you the future. They're saying that we can do things differently and better with right. technology than anybody else can. And that is fundamentally what this company's about, what they're saying, and a lot of times they do succeed on it. But right. when there's when there's screw-ups like this, you know, whether it's the company or operators, mm-hmm. it gets in the news and there's a reason for that. It's because they are on the cutting edge. Right. They you know, they are trying to change things and sometimes things go catastrophically wrong. They're well, going to get reported on. People are going to talk about it. Like it also, but, you know, that a lot of it is, I think, self-inflicted. Like if you have Elon out there talking about how great this system is and how it's safer than human drivers by a magnet, you know, factor of 10 yeah. and all this <laughs> stuff, if you're going to hold, if you're going to set yourself up to be the paragon of all this new technology, you can't be surprised that, even if it fails rarely, when it does fail, you're going to get pilloried. People are going to be like, yeah, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. What happened to your amazing tech? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's true. People, I mean, some people are just going to want to see you fail. Like that's just the human condition, but he also doesn't do himself any favors by saying like, we're the best. Everyone else yeah. is crap, you know? And, and yeah. And so I think it is a bit, <laughs> they, the, the way they've, position themselves in the marketplace as being the, Hey, we may not have the best built cars, but our tech is so much better than everybody else. When your tech yeah. screws up, people are going to come at you. Like it's just, the yeah, it's just right. It's just human nature. And I think part of it is also, you know, it, it strikes you at times as almost like a cult following. Right. And I get that from, to some extent, because the guys here, you know, saying like, Hey, I'm here to save the world by right. doing this and you know we're going to mars and they are doing crazy stuff and so oh, yeah. like the people like, that drink sweet. the kool-aid get heavily involved in it almost like a religion and when you're sass in the religion they're going to give you shit <laughs> so it, but it kind of goes both ways like yeah. you know you're it's fun to poke the, the bee's nest yeah you know? <laughs> no I, well the thing is you know tesla to a large degree people getting into it are still early adopters. And anytime you've made a large financial investment in something, you're going to defend it. If I spend $100,000 on a top of the line Model X and someone goes online and is shit talking it and saying <laughs> it's poorly built, yeah, yeah. my gut reaction is going to be 
Screw that guy. I'm coming at you. Because if I agree with you, I'm implicitly saying I was an idiot for buying this thing. Yeah, no, totally, totally. That's totally you know, true. It's it I mean, that's when you talk like the Ford versus Chevy truck guy arguments and stuff like that's that's what it is fundamentally. You said it's it's like a cult or or really in my mind it's like supporting your home team. Yeah, like, that's what it is, honestly. Yeah. You know, I'm like invested a, in this team. You know, yeah, I'm Vikings Packers kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's I I have a emo- I've invested financially, emotionally, you know, intellectually, whatever, and so I'm going to I'm going to feel a need to defend it when it gets attacked. Particularly if you genuinely believe, yeah, that an EV is the answer to carbon emissions and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I can understand yeah. where where that comes from, but. Anyway, One other thing I did want yeah. to mention really quickly about this. I, I don't think that I don't want people to take the notion away from this that EVs are inherently less safe in an accident than a gas car. I don't I don't at all think that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody posted a comment from the actual like, you know, fire department when they were dealing with this and they're like, no, actually, we've looked at the, the manual from Tesla and you know, like you were talking about this reignition thing. You just need to be on the scene when mm-hmm. this thing, like if it starts back up to put it out. So you're mm-hmm. hanging out there for a couple hours after, but I'm pretty sure like everybody who was, that probably fell to the new guy. They were basically like, yeah. okay, yeah. you're going to stand here for the next four hours and if this thing starts smoking, you're going to dump some water over here. <laughs> <laughs> like you're the new guy, sorry. But um, I think like, Obviously, this was a high velocity, you know, car crash and, right. and bad things happen to people in those scenarios. And so yeah. I, don't, I don't want people to walk away from this and thinking like, oh, yeah, man, they can just no, set on fire. And there's an equal probably chance that your gas tank could potentially blow yeah. up in a car accident as well. You know, yeah, I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's important to remember that that this sort these sort of battery fire things tend to be an issue only in really high velocity because because they're they're cradled fairly carefully in the car so it takes a ton of energy to create enough damage to to you know crack these cells and whatnot so you're talking about you know high velocity motor motor vehicle accidents are a a small minority of overall car accidents and then on top of that you're talking about these sort of reignition issues and battery damage happens in a minority of those so it's like yeah, a exactly, small number yeah. of a small number yeah um, this was just kind of a complete shit time. show on many fronts yeah. yeah well moving on to to something you kind of alluded to in terms of the complexity of modern vehicles but jaguar and land rover jlr uh the same company uh, is temporarily shutting down its two main factories due to a shortage of computer chips. And interestingly enough, Ford, Jeep, and Mercedes have also announced plans to halt production at a number of plants extending into May. For Jaguar Land Rover, starting this Monday, their Castle, Bromwich, and Halewood factories are going to be starting what they call limited period of non-production. The uh, Castle Bromwich factory makes the Jaguar XE, XF, and F-type models, while the Halewood factory makes the Range Rover, the Evoque, and the Land Rover Discovery Sport models. The statement from JLR basically was COVID-19 has caused a bunch of supply chain disruptions, including global availability of semiconductors. So it's limiting our ability to meet our production schedules. And I, you know, I think one, there's two, two kind of points of interest for me in this is 
is the effect it's going to have on new and used car prices because the past year has just been unbelievable in terms of what's happened with car prices. And also, could this issue, if issues like this continue, because there's going to be more and more uh, competition to get computer chips, semiconductors, et cetera, could this push companies away from using more and more electronics in cars and go back to kind of a more analog? You know, I think the answer to that is just absolutely no. <laughs> for better yeah. or for worse, I think <laughs> I think that uh, we are just moving in that direction, and the momentum is 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 just ungodly uh, powerful. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I think uh, the the reality is probably if there is more demand. Um, the market's just going to have to adjust to that and we're going to need to produce more microchips. I think mm-hmm. a lot of them are, you know, kind of centralized in production in Southeast Asia. And so maybe there's an argument for having production in the United States or Europe or wherever, right. you know, yeah. another country that wants to get involved in this, it can produce it at a similar cost. So obviously mm-hmm. from what I've read, it takes a lot of money and a lot of time to spin up microchip manufacturers. So it's mm-hmm. not not something that you can just fix uh, overnight. Mm-hmm. And these players in Southeast Asia basically have a monopoly on it at this point. Yeah. And I think as we've, we're starting to realize, and especially, you know, as you've kind of looked at battery shortages, companies in Europe and, and companies in America have said, well, you know, we're not, we're not going to just wait on you guys in, um, Korea, you know, Mm -hmm. South Korea to LG Chem and other manufacturers to make these batteries, we're going to bring them into our own countries. So, yeah, Germany's building them, America's building them. Yeah, more vertically oriented. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the same may be true of uh, microchips. I think part of, at least on the EV side, of gaining that efficiency uh, that we're going to need to see ranges where it's really like, causes no range anxiety or um mm-hmm. you know people are just like well I fill, I fill up my car once a month and i i don't have to do, you know charge it outside yeah. of that is going to come down to technology and software and all that software has got to sit on some hardware mm-hmm. and, and so i think that just the cap- capabilities also of like well i like to turn my car on in the winter and heat it or right. you know i i'd like my car to remind me that i need to do this Mm-hmm. Or I need, uh, I want my Spotify to just play, you know, Spotify connect through the speakers, the sound yeah. system. All yeah. of those things we're just going to expect from these cars and yeah. uh, they're going to need microchips. So yeah. I don't think they're going away. <laughs> yeah. As much as I would love to disagree with you, <laughs> I, as, as, as the, as the Luddite among the two of us, I, I do have to agree with you. I think it's, for maybe small volume manufacturers, we're, we're talking like boutique supercar yeah. manufacturers stuff. They might have the flexibility to say, you know, okay, maybe we go away from highly automated dual clutch transmissions and maybe we do manuals because we're a sports car manufacturer. But if you're making, you know, Lexus yeah. sedans and Mercedes sedans, yeah, stuff like markets. you have produced a product now for years that has created expectations and the expectation is i'm going to have a good gps i'm going to have like you said like bluetooth connectivity for all my stuff i'm going to have apple carplay i'm going to have you know 
adaptive cruise control, lane keep assist, uh, all these <clears throat> systems all need massive amounts of computing power. And and it's not just in the car world. I mean, this the la- for the last year at least, graphics cards for for PCs have been horrifically overpriced because the production's been hit hard because of COVID. So I agree with you. I think probably more of these companies are going to look at this and say, okay, well, if we need this fundamental thing uh, and if we don't have it, we can't make cars and thus we can't make money, we're going to vertically integrate production of these things into our supply chain so that we control it all. We don't have to rely on you know, a factory in Taiwan to ship, you know, all our chips to us. You know, and the thing that kind of, and I, I agree to you to some extent, obviously it, it invites complexity and that just subsequently invites problems, you know, whether you're updating things or just things breaking. And well, it's like, like with your Tycon <clears throat> update we were talking about before we, we, we started recording. It's yeah, exactly. Complex, you know, exactly. And, uh, and so that's only going to, Hopefully that gets better, but it also has the the potential to get worse. Um, you know, it's kind of outliers occur, and it's like, oh, we we didn't realize this hardware was changed in June, and 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 so we need to change switch over the software early. Mm-hmm. But we we totally bricked it because we didn't realize it got switched a month earlier. We recorded the wrong information or something. Yeah. But um, even beyond that, one of the things I think especially on like the luxury side is what the hell is a luxury car anymore? Um, yeah. When you can go get a Toyota that's got pretty nice interior finishings has, mm. you know, lane keep um, yeah. has, you know, uh, 360 degree cameras and backup assistance. I mean, yeah. I think it can like has this stuff. And so the luxury manufacturers have just said, we need more technology, which yeah. is, I don't honestly think is always the answer it because no. sometimes the technological execution is not good yeah and, i think uh, but i think it needs to be more and more it's going to be just the opulence of the interior like yeah oh like you said like a, a new <laughs> kia or hyundai has all the bells and whistles that pretty much anyone would want and and it's well yeah. made but what's going to separate it is the quality from say from a mercedes is the quality of the leather the quality of the trim the you know, yeah. all those sorts of things like the plushness of the the ride and the suspension technology and all that sort of stuff that's yeah. going to be too expensive to put on a $40,000 Kia SUV, but you can put it on a $80,000 Mercedes. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And and to some extent, it almost becomes a caricature. I mm-hmm. mean, the, the EQS that we were talking about the other week, I mean, I still reflect on that and, and, and the interior and it was just bananas, man. It yeah. was like, it looks like you literally, car. yeah, you, you look like you're on like a Trump aircraft or something like there's <laughs> gold and white leather everywhere. <laughs> and it's, it's way too much for me, yeah. but for the, the right person, I, you know, I, Maybe it's I guess that works. <laughs> the other issue with this is, is I think it's just, this is going to further exacerbate new and used car prices. Um, you know, they've been getting ridiculous and I think they're going to continue to be because, you know, if there's demand for new cars or cars in general and the supply is dwindling. Do you, you think know, this keeps up used car prices a little bit more than um, what we were, you know, what we typically expect? Yeah, I think so for sure. Because, 
what's going to happen is you're going to have new cars are going to, the price of new cars is going to increase. And so now someone that maybe was considering a new car is going to say, okay, well now that's outside of my budget. So now I'm going to look at maybe something that's a couple years old. And, and there's going to be enough people that are in that situation that the used car prices can creep up as well. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's a a volume, you know, supply and demand situation. But last, last topic of the day, a little bit more upbeat. Um, uh, So there's a new special edition of Ferrari's 812 super fast coming. So for those of you that don't know, um, you are listening to a car podcast, so you probably do, but the 812 super fast is Ferrari's V12 kind of GT grand tourer car. Um, And they teased a new special edition that's coming with a naturally aspirated V12 that's going to produce 818 horsepower. And the headline for me is that it revs to 9,500. We're talking about a naturally aspirated V12 that revs to 9,500 RPM, making it the most powerful, highest revving naturally aspirated Ferrari road car engine ever made. The rear glass has been replaced by a louvered piece of aluminum that looks very cool. It does. Uh, and there's they've you know obviously used, as you would expect, more extensive carbon fiber to further light in the car this is kind of going to be their track special kind of like the the f12 tdf and the um, uh, 599 gto before it uh they haven't revealed the name yet that's coming with the official reveal of the car on may 5th but in hearing about this hearing about this engine and i've heard this conversation in a couple other places but you kind of have to wonder have we reached peak internal combustion car i mean how much crazier can we get you know, I think we have. I mean, from a manufacturer's standpoint, when you're looking at R and D, and you're hearing companies like Audi say we're done developing yeah. the internal combustion as a whole. Yeah, know? like when you hear statements like that, to truly, you know, transcend this type of engine is mm-hmm. is probably a ground up rebuild. Right. Um, you know, for some, you know, new V12 that's like a the base engine but we've designed it so that we can notch this up a whole other level. Mm-hmm. Let's say, you know, whatever, 10,000 some RPM. Like yeah. it's probably a, a ground up rebuild. And mm-hmm. with uh, R&D kind of, you know, basically being split into EVs and internal combustion, I think companies are on these extreme ends going to just say, I don't know that we have the bandwidth for that right now. Um, yeah, I mean, to try and consistently one-up yourself. I mean, I, I think it was telling to me, you know, we talked about the 992 GT3. Andreas Preuninger, the head of the GT division, said, you know, we really couldn't do much more with this engine. You know, I mean, it's, we've, got a, we've got a naturally aspirated flat six that's producing 530 horsepower. Like, what more, you know? And so they basically had to do more with the aerodynamics to make it faster. And I think that's probably... In my mind, that's kind of what we're getting at with peak internal combustion is could you make the car faster through aerod- aerodynamic trickery, suspension, et cetera? Certainly. But how much and and if yeah. you put enough resources into it, could you make better engines? Maybe. But I think I know I know for a fact with the GT3, because they've said this, that because of the EU regulations that are coming yeah. in, you know, in terms of uh, not like sound regulations, emissions, etc. There's, they really can't iterate much more on this. Yeah. So yeah. I think we are really hitting peak of what is going to be capable. 
based on the regulations that are coming into play, particularly in the, in Europe. You know, it's still a bit more of a wild west in America, but um, Europe's getting yeah, really strict. And it's like one of the things I've mentioned before. You know, if you are an automotive enthusiast and have the capability to get a hold of these cars, I think these are very special cars because yeah. they are at the peak. And yeah. I think um, I, I have no idea, like, what the hell is the next true yeah. iteration of the 911 GT3 going to be? Is it a hybrid electric? Maybe it might be. I don't know. But think, these like naturally aspirated cars yeah. are a real treat at this point. And uh, I think, yeah, they're marking the, the high water point. I mean, I think that's, that's, I, I heard one automotive journalist who I, I have a ton of respect for say that, that he thinks the, the, engine in the new GT3, which is kind of an iteration of the engine that's in, in my RS is probably the best naturally aspirated engine. on sale. Yeah. And, and it's why I'm, I'm probably going to keep this as long as I can. Um, (laughs) these, these cars are everything to meet emissions are going, everything's going turbocharged or hybrid. I think the days of these high revving, high output, naturally aspirated engines are are probably over either with this generation of, of cars or, you know, with maybe one, you might get one more generation because the EU yeah. regulations kick in in 2035, but, uh, you know, so, but some countries are saying 2025. So, um, you know, I think this is probably as far as some of these engines are going to go, but I mean, I can't. Knowing what nine thousand RPMs feels like in my car, I can only imagine what ninety five hundred in a V twelve. Yeah, it's out. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a just a crazy cool looking car, and uh, I look forward to the uh, reveal. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, well, uh, anything else you want to touch on this week, bud? No, that's great. All right, awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. As usual, you can uh, catch us on social media at the Blofeld Podcast on Instagram. Uh, Follow us there for uh, show updates um, and really to ask us questions or anything else. Uh, And also, please, if you're listening on iTunes, uh, please rate us. It helps us uh, try and reach a broader audience. So until next week, thank you all very much. Bye.